And I really do hope you're excited because I think the, the, the tendency for a lot of us is to, out of habit, we come, we give, we hear a message, we leave, and we kind of get into this, this, this mode of just doing the same thing over and over again. And I'm gonna talk a lot about that today, but I just hope that you are excited to be here this morning. I mean, what an amazing, really, morning it's been so far. I, I really wanted to say uh, how encouraged I am by Bethany and her courage to share her story. And I just thought that was so powerful. I mean, this is, we want this to be a place that you're excited to be at, where there's mo things moving and making a difference. And so I'm just so glad to be up here. I feel honored to be up here before you this morning. And I'm excited to what I want to say to you today. And we're going to start off with a prayer. So if you could bow your heads with me, that'd be great. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that we all have our own story. And God, We've all been through different things. Not one person in this room is the same. We've been through different life challenges and trials. And God, we all come from different backgrounds. But it's so amazing to me how you lead all of us back to you. And I pray that today we would have hearts that are open and seeking you with all of our hearts, God, that we are not holding anything back. And I pray that as we hear your word today, that we just set our eyes and our hearts and our attention on it. God, that there's nothing that anybody can text us or say to us right now that is more important than your word. God, that you are among us where there are three more or more together that you are with us right now. So I pray that we would honor you and that we would honor each other. God, thank you for this opportunity. Uh, I just want to give you all the glory and all the honor. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. So I'm not sure if you've realized it yet, but uh, tomorrow is already September. Okay. You've probably realized that tomorrow's Labor Day. You probably have plans or you don't have a day of work or school. And so I just think it's incredible. I mean, I can't believe that it's already the fall. Uh, I just feel like this year has flown by and uh, a lot of things have happened. A lot of great th things happened in, in our church. You know, there's a lot of uh, really amazing things that I feel like have happened in my life. And I just, you know, I talk about my daughter a lot because, you know, she's not even a month old yet. But she's making our, her first appearance here at church this morning. So um, I'm so glad to have my daughter here. She told me that she wanted to hear my message today. So I said, sure, why not? Come to church. It's going to be great. And uh, so um, I'm so uh, just, I'm just really encouraged that she's here. And uh, my wife is here. Uh, she's a trooper. Ayumi, you're awesome. So I just wanted to throw that out there really quick. And uh, just as I reflect on this year, I feel like, like I was saying, God has done a lot of great things, I feel like, in my life. And I look at our church and kind of the focus, and we've been spending a lot of time this year really zeroing in on God's promises, okay? And for me personally, I've been really encouraged. I feel like I've been really inspired personally uh, by everything that I've read, by all the promises that I've seen uh, that God has for each and every one of us. And yet as inspired as I've been in my reading, there's one promise that when I laid, um, the very moment that I laid my eyes on it, it has just been grinding deeper and deeper into my mind and into my heart. I mean, have you ever read something like that or seen something and you just can't get it off your mind? And I read this promise and it's just been sinking deeper and deeper inside of me. I mean, I literally cannot stop thinking about it. I think about it all the time. I've, I've even lost sleep over this promise because this one promise is so mind-blowing for me. I just feel like I can't wrap my, my mind around it. I don't know what it would look like 
in my life. I don't, I don't know how I would apply this or how this would look for me personally. And to tell you the truth, there have been uh, moments that this promise that Jesus made has even really caused doubt to creep into my heart. And I've felt challenged in my faith because there's a huge gap between what I see in that verse and what I see in my life. You know, there's a big difference between what I see in this verse, the statement that Jesus makes, and, and even what I see in our church. And this is a place I grew up here. This is my home. You are my family. And sometimes when I look around or I look at my life, I think, man, we can grow so much more for God. And I believe that many of you have felt this same thing. I think you've felt this same feeling, even if you can't exactly put it into words, that something isn't, something isn't quite squaring up. Like things aren't just lining up correctly and we can't quite put our finger on it. And Jesus makes one of the most shocking statements that you will ever find in any book that you will ever read. It's in John chapter 14, verse 12. I wanna read this to you as we begin our time this morning. John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, this is Jesus talking, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And then he says the part that not only creates a question inside of me or it causes me to question the way I'm living, but it causes me to question the way I'm leading my wife, the way I'm leading my daughter, maybe the way I'm leading my ministry that I'm a part of. It really is a challenging thing he says when we compare it to our everyday lives. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, healing the blind, raising people from the dead. And they will do even greater things than these. Are you kidding me? Wait, wait, what? Greater things than Jesus? I mean... The greatest man who ever lived? And then he says, because I am going to the Father. And as we begin this brand new series, Greater, my desire is to help us walk through a process this morning of getting our hearts and our minds ready for what God wants to do in our lives. Greater things, greater things than we could ever hope or imagine. And so, before we get into this message, would you just pray with me right now? Would you, would you just repeat after me? We're gonna to pray together. Could you do that? I want you to say, Heavenly Father. All right, say it. Heavenly Father, here's my life. I ask you to change me through the power of your word. Here I am. Speak to me. I'm listening. In Jesus' name, amen. And the title of this lesson is Burn the Plows. We're going to be burning some plows today. And we're going to jump into an event that took place in the life of a man named Elisha, who went on to become a prophet for God. And through his story, I believe that there are three different invitations that have a lot of parallels to what I think God wants to do in our lives. 
And so I want to write, I want you to write these three things down. I want you to, this is the only time I'm ever going to tell you to take your phone out during a service. And uh, unless you're using it for your Bible, but take out a pen, take out a pencil, take out a piece of paper. And I want you to write these three things down because I believe that they will help you pray this week and prepare your heart for what God wants to do in your life. Okay. And so we're going to go to the book of first Kings chapter 19. The Old Testament, chapter, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. And the first thing that I see in the life of Elisha, I'm going to tell you that in a moment. Let me read this to you. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. It says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. You know, the first thing that I see in the life of Elisha is an invitation to a higher calling. Can you say that? A higher calling? All three of you, great job. I'm just kidding. And I think it's really important to point out what Elisha was doing when Elijah, who was the prophet that spoke the word of God to the whole nation of Israel, when he came by and threw his mantle, a mantle was basically a cloak. And a lot of times it was just animal skin. And he came by and he threw a mantle over the shoulders of Elisha. And Elisha wasn't expecting it. And there's nothing in the scriptures to suggest that he did anything to, des to deserve it. And the reason why I point that out is because when we talk about the great things that God wants to do through the lives of people, Many people kind of disqualify themselves before the opening bell even sounds. But I'm encouraged to know that Elisha was plowing with oxen in a field far away from any signs of great significance when one day God's greater calling began in his life in an amazing way. And it also encourages me how the beginning of verse 19 reads. I want to go back to that really quick. It says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. And you might be thinking, well, why is that so encouraging? Well, let me explain a little bit of just what, what's happening right now uh, so that you understand what's going on in this verse and where Elijah is coming from. You see, the prophet Elijah basically just went through an extreme episode of depression. He had a run-in with this evil woman named Jezebel. Maybe you've heard of her, right? who was the queen of the nation that he represented. And the Bible says that he ran over 200 miles because he was terrified of a death threat that she leveled against him. In other words, Elijah was scared. He was in fear. And he was tired of fighting wicked people. And so he took off running. Now, while he was on the run, God shows up in kind of a dramatic way for him. And, and I don't have time to go over that. You can read it on your own. Basically, God whispers to him in this cave. But what's remarkable about Elijah, encountering Elisha from my perspective, is that while Elijah was running away because he was tired and he was scared and he didn't know what to do next, God starts talking to Elijah, the first guy, about Elisha the second guy. But Elisha doesn't even know the conversation is even happening because he's just doing his thing, plowing in a field far away from anything of great significance. And I believe that there are many of you here today 
that there are many of you here this morning who have been doing your thing. You have been plowing in a field, just going about your life unaware of the reality that God is conspiring great things for your life and how he wants to use you for the ways he wants to bless you, for the ways that he wants to become real to you, for the ways that he wants to show himself in your life. You see, when you are plowing behind oxen, that is hard work. I mean, that is some tedious work right there. And so I want you to put yourself in Elisha's shoes here for a moment. Because for Elisha, the scenes, the sights, the smells, they were the same every single day. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with what he did for a living. I mean, it was, it was a good, steady job. In fact, many scholars believe that Elisha was actually the overseer of all the oxen of a wealthy landowner. So he had an, a, a really great job with a lot of stability. But I think his job also had a lot of monotony as well. And for every day that Elisha got behind the plow, there just must have been a part of him. And I, and I don't know, I can't really prove it from the scripture. But when the smell in your nostrils is the smell of oxen dung, every day, day after day after day after day, and you're the 12th man in line behind 11 rows of oxen in front of you, your view never changes. Your view never changes. I mean, for every day Elisha got behind the plow, his view was the backside of a farm animal, roughly the size of a garbage truck, and probably didn't smell any better than a garbage truck either. And that was his life every day. And his life wasn't bad. There's nothing wrong with good hard work. And there's nothing in the scriptures to suggest that Elisha was plowing because he was disobedient to God. It's just that sometimes, even though you're living a life that's pretty good, God is planning to do something, to bring you into something that's even greater for his honor and for his glory. And I understand that not everybody gets excited when I say that. You know, I want to know why? Because it's vague. It's really vague. God has plans for your life, bro. Yeah. Okay. That's super vague. And that's one of the most frustrating things about a message like this. Because the tendency is for some of you to hear what I'm saying and think, uh, you know, I'm, if I'm working a steady job in the accounting department or if I'm working a steady job in the business world, then God is something greater for you, okay? God is something greater for you. You're wasting your life. And that's not the point of this message. And that's really not the heart behind what I think God is trying to communicate to you this morning. In fact, I believe that a lot of times it's not that God calls us to do something different. It's that he calls us to do what we're doing right now in a different way for a different reason and with an entirely different passion than you've ever done it before. Like when I say greater, a lot of you hear better. Like God wants something greater for you and you're like, that's right, I hate my job. I wanna quit, right? <laughs> well, maybe he's not calling you to quit your current job for something better. Maybe he's calling you to show up to your current job with a greater sense of destiny so that you don't maybe slip behind the plow and mindlessly go through your life. That you would be faithful with the little things that you have right before you right now. Maybe he's not calling you to leave your husband and find a better one. 
Maybe he's calling you to engage your husband's heart with a greater love so that he becomes better than he ever knew he had the potential to be because of your greater love for Jesus. Maybe he's not calling you to step out into something new. Maybe he's calling you to step up where you are right now in your life. So what we know about God is this, that he calls different people to do different things. That there's no shame in doing the same thing every day, but there is a great calling that God is sending out to everyone who has settled into spiritual survival mode. Comfortable complacency. And this word complacency, it means a feeling of quiet pleasure or security often while unaware of some potential danger. Smug satisfaction with an existing situation or condition. You've just, it's, you're in spiritual survival mode. You have settled, you are comfortable, but you're unaware of the potential danger of wasting your life by not, by not dreaming bigger. Miserable mediocrity. Life behind the plow. You go to church and you do your thing and you stare at oxen butts day after day <laughs> after day. I actually, originally I wanted to call this lesson oxen and butts. Or, you know, the King James version uses the A word, but I wouldn't say that up here. Actually, I wouldn't say it at all. Because I thought it would make a great title for how many people feel when they wake up every Monday morning. They get back behind the plow, back into their home that is smaller than they would like it to be. With unpaid balances on three different credit cards and a smile on their face trying to fake it like they enjoy it. But the dung of the oxen and the view of the butts is blocking your visibility of seeing anything greater in your future. And if that is you, I want to talk to you this morning. If that is you, I want to suggest to you that in spite of all the parts of us that are anything but good, I believe based on what I read in God's word, that he is holding the door open for you to do something greater, an invitation to a higher calling. And when the mantle hit Elisha's shoulders, it represented Elisha's calling as a prophet. And Elisha, without one word being spoken to him from the elder prophet, knows in a moment that everything had changed in that moment. Everything had changed when that mantle hit his shoulders. He knew that nothing would ever be the same ever again. Now notice what Elijah doesn't do. Okay, he doesn't sit down and have coffee with Elisha. Okay, he doesn't ask him, hey, are you happy? Are you satisfied with your current job? Hey, let's go to a career fair. Maybe we can see what's out there for a young aspiring prophet. You know, maybe we can see what's going on. And there's nothing in the scriptures to suggest that Elisha was doing anything worthy of God's attention. He's just a guy plowing a field. That's it. And Jesus said, anyone who believes in me will do even greater things. No matter who you are, any student, any single mom, any person, who's been working at something, but it doesn't seem to be working, God can start working in you right now in a greater way. Not when you pay off those credit cards. 
Not when you get your kid, you know, not when you have a kid because everybody else around you is having a kid and you feel like you can't be complete as a family until you have one. You know, not when, not when you, you know, you can afford to buy a better car for your wife. You know, not when your income reaches a certain level. Greater things can start right now. And this is your higher calling this morning. Yet part of my confusion is figuring out what greatness is for God anyway. Like, what is that? And not only is it hard to get, it's difficult to figure out. And, when even, when, and what it even is, because you turn on the radio and you hear one guy going, well, here's what happens when you have great faith in God. He's going to give you a big house, a nice car. You're going to have a boat. And I'm like, I don't even want a boat, you know, but okay, that's cool, <laughs> right? Then there's another guy who's writing a book that says, you know, he, he's saying, you got to sell everything that you have. You got to sell your car. You got to ride your bike to work every day. Because there are starving people in Africa. And so now I'm like, I don't know if, if I want to live a life that's just good enough. I want to reach for something greater. But I'm confused about where to start. And I don't even know what greater means. And so I live my life feeling stuck. And when I reach for something greater, I feel frustrated because one guy is telling me that God wants to give me like crib style Christianity. And the other dude is teaching me to get rid of every materialistic thing I own. And I'm like, I don't know. What does it even mean to do great things for God? And the average follower of Jesus is saying, I'm just hoping to get to heaven one day. That's all I want. And then God comes along and says, you are meant for more than just mindlessly plowing. There's life beyond the plow. You see, Jesus didn't save me so that I would be stuck in a life that is good enough. But he doesn't call you to a form of greatness that is based on worldly standards either. Instead, he offers you an invitation to a greater way by calling you out from your life behind the plow into a journey of following him. And here's the thing. I don't know where that's gonna lead you. Nobody does. But I can tell you where that journey starts. That journey in following Jesus starts with deeper surrender. And that is my second invitation for you this morning, an invitation to deeper surrender. Because Elisha doesn't just pray a prayer when the mantle falls on his shoulders. And he doesn't just follow Elijah either. He makes sure that, he, that when he follows Elisha into greater things, he has nothing to run back to in his life. He makes sure that there's nothing that he can run back to in his life. And watch this. It's a great image of what I think God is calling many of us to do this morning. In verse 20, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Now he's not having second thoughts, okay? He's dealing with the reality that once he follows forward, there's no turning back. There's no turning back. He gets the fact that this is goodbye to everything that I have ever known in my life. I don't think a lot of people, to be honest, really understand what salvation is. I don't think a lot of people realize that when you say Jesus is Lord, you are kissing the world goodbye. And if you're not kissing the world goodbye to say, Jesus, you are my prize. Jesus, you are my treasure. 
I don't want, I don't even want to follow you into greater things. I believe that you are the greatest thing, Jesus. And you are the only priority of my heart from this day forward. He says, and then I will come and follow with you. Come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? In other words, Elijah is saying, this is serious, man. This is serious. God is calling you. In fact, God told me about you before he told you about you. So you better go kiss your father and you better go kiss your mother goodbye. And you better make it meaningful because where we're going together, everything's going to change. And for a man who had spent his life behind the plow, Elisha does something remarkable. It, this is the mind-blowing part. Look at in verse 21. He says, so Elisha left him and went back. So he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. Now, this in itself was not an unusual thing for us. We're like, whoa, buddy, okay? A little over the top there, okay? It wasn't like this was cruel to the animals, okay? This wasn't like a cruel thing for Elisha to slaughter them because animal sacrifice was actually a very common thing in Elisha's day. And so it would really be nothing for him to sacrifice the animals, okay? It's not like his neighbors were calling PETA, okay? Like, we've got a crazy man. He's on the loose. He's killing his oxen. So there's nothing necessarily abnormal about what he did. It's what he does next that grips my heart. You ready? He burned the plowing equipment. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Servant. I can understand killing the animals because there's actual value in that. You actually feed people. But to take the instruments of your livelihood and to use them for fire so you can grill the oxen meat, to be honest, it just sounds irresponsible. It sounds, it sounds short-sighted. It sounds foolish. It sounds a little bit over the top. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, if God called you to quit your business, you wouldn't burn the building to the ground, okay? You would sell it and get money for it. However, my feeling is that God didn't put this story in the Bible to teach us how to best manage our farming equipment. It's a picture of surrender. It's a beautiful picture of surrender. You know, we sang a song earlier after the communion called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And one of the verses that we didn't sing in that, that song really identifies with the message that I'm really trying to bring to you today. It says, the world behind me. Anybody know what comes next? The cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. You see, you're not being called to follow Elijah today. You're being called to follow one much greater than Elijah. And Elijah the prophet isn't coming by and dropping his mantle on you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is looking at you this morning saying, hey, that's you. That's you. You're mindlessly plowing. Hey, that's you. You're stuck playing it safe. Hey, that's you testing the water, but you're not stepping in. Hey, that's you that has that issue in your heart that I've been talking to you about, but you haven't dealt with. And so many people have launched out to be greater for God because who doesn't want to be greater for God? We all want to be greater for God, yet there's no change. 
And we're still the same people. And so now we're back in a life that's just good enough wondering what went wrong. And I think one of the reasons many people never make it out of spiritual mediocrity and advance into greater things is that we picked the wrong starting point. The truth is that the greater life God is calling you doesn't start with drawing up the blueprints, okay, of the life that you wish you had. It begins with burning the plows of the life you have lived and offering yourself to God as a blank canvas saying, I will follow you wherever you lead. The world behind me, the cross before me. And so many people never get to greater because we don't leave good enough behind. And so we step out from the from behind the plows and we try to live for God for a little while. And we're singing the world behind me, the cross before me. But what we're not singing is the world isn't very far behind because we got our hand right there on the back door. And when it gets a little bit of tough and when it gets a little sacrificial and when it gets a little uncertain to follow Jesus forward, then I go right back to the plow. I go back to my old life. I go back to the world, but God didn't bring you here. God did not bring you here. I don't care who you are this morning. God did not bring you here so that you could go back into the way you were living before you came. So today, we're going to burn some plows in our hearts and in our lives. Now, the third thing that I want to talk to you about is the invitation into greater things. You could write that down. Number three, an invitation into greater things. You know, Elisha went on to do twice as many miracles as Elisha did. You know, Elisha goes on to raise people from the dead, change the economy of an entire city with just one word from his mouth. But it started with deeper surrender. You know, God is the only one. God is the only one who will call you higher and tell you the way to get there is by going deeper into your dependence on him. Jesus is the only one who said, anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What does that even mean? It doesn't mean that God isn't gonna love you until you get rid of this one sin. You know, it doesn't mean that God isn't gonna love you until you take that one step of faith. It just means that your life will continue to be limited until you set fire to whatever has bound you to your old life. And the only reason I know that is because I've experienced it. You know, I remember six years ago, I walked into this very room. Uh, and before that, I had, I had chosen to abandon my relationship with God. I, didn't, I wanted nothing to do with it. And I remember walking into this room, I had like a black sweatshirt with a hood on, okay? Just walking in and uh, Many of you know Chris Boyer. You know, I really had no idea why I was here. He told me like, hey, you should go to church, give it a chance. And I was like, eh, I don't know. And you know, for me, things were not bad in my life. Things were pretty good. I was making good money as a carpenter. And you know, I wasn't like at rock bottom, but I walked into this room and I remember being asked to study the Bible again. And uh, for months and months and months, I just could not let go of this life. And I remember realizing at, at one moment that the plow that I had to burn, I mean, not literally burn, but were the, my friends in my life. I mean, these were guys that I had grown up with since I was five years old. They were like brothers to me. We played football together. 
And I knew that I felt like if I were to follow Jesus forward, I cannot hang out with these people anymore. And it was a hard, one of the hardest decisions that I've ever had to make was leaving those guys, those relationships. And I'm still friends with some of them today, but I can't help but wonder if I would be experiencing the greater thing God is doing in my life right now if I hadn't burned my plow six years ago. I mean, honestly, guys, I look at my life, everything in my life is, is a testament to God. To be in the ministry, to be married to an amazing woman, to have a daughter, to have everything that I have, it's, it's not because of me, it's because of Him. I can't take any credit. And that is the worst part about not burning your plows. It's, it's the worst part about holding on to the life that you're living and not giving it to God saying, here, here it is, Lord. I don't even know what you're calling me to do yet, but I'm gonna follow you. And I believe that there's somebody in here right now that God is trying to get you to burn something. God's trying to get you to burn something emotionally. Maybe God is trying to get you to burn something relationally. And I don't, I don't mean to burn that person, okay? I mean, maybe you need to delete that person from your phone. And you need to stop responding every time that person comes running after you, texting you. You know, I wanna to speak to the person who's holding on to a plow of unforgiveness this morning. A plow of bitterness, a plow of excuses, a, a plow of blame. You see, a plow can be anything. I mean, it's not like Elisha went to go burn his stash of drugs. What Elisha burned wasn't even a bad thing. It was actually a good thing, but it was keeping him from the greater thing that God had for him. And I guarantee you that when Elisha moved forward into the greater thing, that not one moment did he ever regret the plows that he burned when he left that life behind. And I can tell you today, personally, I have not regretted once that decision to burn my plows. And there are some plows in my life right now. There are plows in my life right now. And I bet you have some plows in your life too. And so I would like to ask everyone to stand to your feet right now. If you could stand to your feet. As we close out this message with surrender, You know, I believe God is calling you to set fire to some negative ways that you've been approaching in your life from some selfishness, from some greed, from some fears, from some people, maybe accusations, from some gossip, from impurity. Whatever you're holding on to tightly, when you let it go to God and don't just pray about it, but you act on it, you discover that God never comes into your life to take something away unless he plans to give you something greater to take its place. And he is the greater thing. He is the greater thing. So since I have Robin playing the piano here, I thought I would take a step out on faith. And I would like to close out our message just by singing two verses of the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Now let me warn you, I'm not a professional singer.
pray that as we launch into the life that you have for us that is greater, God, give us courage. Give us the strength to make these decisions. And there may be things in our life right now that may not be bad and they might be good enough, but I pray that we would leave those things behind to dream for you. And we may not know what that is yet, but I pray that as we come next week, that we would find out more about the greater things that you want to do and how we use what we have right now in our hand for you. God, we are so grateful for you. We love you so much. We owe you our lives. The world behind us, Father, the cross before us. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. I want to thank everybody for being here this morning. Right now, we actually have the opportunity to witness somebody leave the world behind. And uh, I want you to turn your attention here.